Well, we are, we are wrapping up our January series called New Beginnings. And if you did miss any of the sermons that we've done throughout this month, please go back to the website. There's a sermons button there. The playlist for all the sermons is ready to go for you. You can watch that at your convenience at any time. When we think about new beginnings, I'm not sure what image or what phrases hit your mind, hit your heart, but I think a lot of us, when we hear the phrase new beginnings, we think about a fresh start. And we are so thankful. I am, I'm sure you are. We're so thankful for the grace of God. We are so thankful for the mercies of God. The scripture tells us that His mercies are new every morning, that there are these new beginnings uh, available, a fresh start being offered by God every day. I'm so thankful for that. And it's made possible by Jesus. It's made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He allowed himself as a sinless sacrifice to be killed, to be crucified on the cross. His death paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. His resurrection proved his victory over sin and over death. And he made a new beginning for us possible. When we admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, when we trust Jesus to forgive us of our sin, to make us right with God, when we trust Jesus to lead our lives, to save our souls from sin and hell, there is no greater new beginning than that. There are practical Uh, practical implications of that every day. It's not just for that moment of salvation that we experience when we trust Christ as our Savior. There There are implications of the gospel that follow us every day. For example, when you're laying in bed at two in the morning and the earth begins to rumble, there is no fear of death, not really. When you know that your soul is eternally secure, It takes away the fear of death. Our identity is something that is secure in Jesus Christ. We don't have to go around figuring out, uh, do I identify as this or do I identify as that? We don't have to do that. We can be secure in who we are in Jesus Christ. Our value, our purpose comes from the God of the universe. It doesn't come from social media. It doesn't come from what the culture says about us. And the gospel of Jesus provides not only our identity, not only our our purpose and value in life, but it also provides this fresh start, this, this new beginning in life that impacts the way that we walk through sorrow, the way that we walk through broken plans in life. We're able to walk through those difficult days with joy and with hope in the middle of all of those experiences because the comfort and the strength and the hope-filled joy of Jesus provides uh, all that we need as we're slogging up that mountainous trail through the briar patch. Jesus is with us and provides all that we have. And understanding that, living in that gospel truth is like living a new beginning every day. So thankful for that. And so hopefully this month has been encouraging to you. I know we've been talking about some heavier topics and some deep water life stuff, but uh, hopefully it's been helpful. There's one more deep water life experience that I want to address 
uh, in this series, and it has to do, as Ryan said, we're going to talk about marriage. Uh, marriage sometimes can, uh, for some, be a, a real challenge. It can be a struggle, and sometimes uh, over time, those struggles, those challenges build and break things. Sometimes even Christians experience a broken marriage. Well, if that happens, uh, where do we go to find a new beginning? Where do we go to find a fresh start? Now, ultimately, the things that we're going to talk about today uh, will help keep our marriages strong and healthy so we don't get to the point of a broken marriage. These principles apply whether you, your marriage is really suffering right now and how do you get back to something that's healthy. Or if, if your marriage is pretty good, but you want to keep it healthy, you want to keep it strong, these principles will apply in both situations. What I'd like to do before we get into the Word of God today, I, I want you to hear the story of Steve and Sarah. And we're going to listen to their story, and then I'm just going to take you to God's Word, have a few simple thoughts that we're going to apply uh, in, in, in our lives. So listen, listen to this story. Welcome to Stories of New Beginnings. I'm here with Steve and Sarah Oliveri. We really appreciate you being here today to share your heart and share your story. Absolutely. How long have you been married? Um, so we've, we've been married for, let me do the math here for a second, this is about 18 years. 18? Uh, yep. Where'd you get married? Um, in Monroeville. Monroeville? Yep. All right. Um, my, my dad did the wedding, and that's where we were at. Okay. Very good. So, Steve, you're a grace group leader here, and Sarah, you're a big part of our children's ministry here at Grace Fellowship. Uh, Steve, you used to be a pastor, and Sarah, your dad's a pastor. You said he married you. Um, I think a lot of people would look at you, look at, at uh, your life experiences and history and think, these guys have got to be bulletproof. They've, <laughs> they've got it all figured out. They've got it all together. Uh, but when you started coming here to Grace Fellowship, you, you came here in kind of a difficult mm -hmm. season of life. Your marriage was hurting. You know, I don't know if you would describe it as broken, but it was certainly to the point where you weren't sure if it was going to survive. So I'm going to start with you, Sarah. Sarah, would, would you describe or how would you describe that season of your life? Um, I would 100% say that our marriage was broken. Um, and I would say that we as people were very broken. Um, that was a very confusing time. Um, I never in a million years would think that I would be a marriage that would be broken. Like, I was one who prayed for my husband, and um, I knew all the Bible answers, and I, I read all the books and all those things, and I ended up in this marriage where I was scared of my husband. Um, I was very confused and lost, um, and I didn't know what to do. I really felt just like God had left me in a lot of ways. Um, I had started with a, a belief um, that basically, I would never have said it out loud, that whenever the good things I do means that God's good to me. Um, but now looking back at my thinking during that time, um, I realized that whenever there was a problem arise or whatever, that I would start questioning, okay, well, what did I do wrong? How can I fix this? And now realizing that 
that there's so much more of God's grace involved than I ever imagined. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. How about you, Steve? How would you describe that season of your life? Oh, yeah, our marriage was broken. I was broken. Um, I um, took a lot of things from work and being a pastor. Um, I took a lot of that stress and um, some just bad things that happened, and I took it home a lot. And um, I didn't know really what to do with it very well at all. Um, I mean, I did all the Christian things like praying and um, I even talked to people, uh, lots of people. What do I do with it? And it, it, um, it never seemed to fully take it away. There were things I just could not let go of. And things just slowly over the years just escalated and escalated to the point where something would happen and um, I would have an angry outburst. I would um, break things. I, would, um, I, I just needed to get it out. And the way I got it out was scary to Sarah and uh, the kids occasionally. Um, I didn't do anything to them uh, physically, but uh, um, yeah, I remember I, <laughs> I broke a window once uh, to our shed. I put a hole in the top of our ceiling above our bed. I, um, yeah, I was a very angry person. And... Uh, I wouldn't show it to anybody else, but at home it would just come out. I couldn't hold it in anymore. So it was, a, it was really a rough, broken time in your lives. Absolutely. Uh, just to confirm, you are still married. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for that. So the, I guess the question that we want to know is how did you repair that? How, how did you repair or restore the things that were broken? So during that season, I learned that brokenness isn't bad. Um, our marriage needed to be that broken for God to do the work in our lives that he needed to be done. Um, stripped away all the things that we were putting in God's place. Um, I personally was able to see all the things that I had just put in front of God, but also just had changed about myself um, and we ended up separating for a year actually a little over a year um, and during that time it was a time of just working on ourselves working on our own past stuff working on um, what we truly believe about God what would you say you were feeling and dealing with during that time <laughs> oh my gosh so many things um... Really, it felt like God hit me with an absolute freight train. Um, he kind of slowly pried away anything that I tried to find my acceptance and approval in other than uh, him. My, my job, um, friends, my marriage, um, even my own home. Um, everything went away. And I truly felt like I had absolutely nothing. But it was, uh, you know, a couple of things happened that uh, it's unmistakably God things that, that um, uh, changed me forever. Uh, one, one of them was that uh, as all those things were happening, it felt like 
God was screaming at me more and more. And as things went away, his voice got clearer and clearer and clearer to me. Everything kind of faded away, and I realized it was between me and him, and he was trying to get my attention and trying to say, I am all you need. Um, and I wish he would have had a little more subtle ways of doing it, but that <laughs> doesn't seem to be how God does things most of the time. Um, and it really came like the, the, the biggest example would have been, um, uh, I remember I was out back behind my parents' house at night and Sarah wanted to talk and I knew it wasn't going to be a good talk. And um, I heard a sermon that morning about um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac you know, on the altar, but God had a replacement. And I remember God telling me very specifically, like, this is one of the clearest times I remember God talking to me, like, you need to put your marriage on that altar and be willing to sacrifice that. Give that up to, quit holding on to it. And I got, I, 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 okay, but I'm scared if I do. And he just said, you have to trust me, you have to trust me. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if I can. This is, I don't know what to do, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's one of the most powerful things. God, I remember God telling me, speaking to me Psalms 23 um, from his perspective. He said, I am the Lord, your shepherd. You don't need anything else. I lead you in green pastures. I lead you beside quiet waters. I restore your soul. I lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Uh, even though you go through the valley of shadow death, I will be with you. Um, and I just broke down. Um, I never felt like that much comfort uh, from anything <laughs> in my life like it was at that point. And it was a good thing because we had the conversation and Sarah said, yeah, we're going to get a divorce. And, I'm like, and I just lost it. But uh, another God thing that happened is uh, that night... Um, a friend called me, and I hadn't heard from him in years. And he's asked me how I'm doing. I'm a dude, I'm not doing good. And I just kind of laid it out there. And he said, um, yeah, m my wife and I went through the exact same thing. Yeah, we said we're going to get divorced. But just because they say it doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. And I, I went, huh, you're right. And it gave me just enough hope to kind of keep going. Even when, it, and then, you know, because when it, your marriage is broken, are you willing to still work on yourself, or are you doing it just for your marriage? When your marriage is no, you know, no longer an option, are you still willing to keep going and do the right thing? Um, so that was a pretty big test. Um, and then we just did this slow, long, hard road of reconciling. Um, yeah, that wasn't easy either, but... Um, God put it together in a way that was far better than it was otherwise. 2020 was a year for most people that they look back with a lot of stress. Not a good year. It's the year that saved our marriage. Yeah, um, COVID saved our marriage. It, it truly did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we weren't a the counselors we found that were the best for what we were going through were in Pittsburgh. We weren't able to travel to Pittsburgh multiple times a week like we really needed to to be really wrestling with this stuff. And then COVID hit. And we were able to have it brought to us. And we could do it on the computer. Um, we were able to devote time to our marriage that we didn't have any other way. We were able to devote time into self-reflection and all those things that we just weren't able to do before. And it just, 
it was amazing how God could use such something that's so horrible and just redeem it. <laughs> that's great. So what would you say to couples sitting here today or maybe listening by live stream? They're, they're hurting. They're struggling. They're in a marriage right now that just feels broken. What, what would you say to them? Um, if you don't feel safe, don't stay. Um, no matter how much you think you're going to hurt the other person or hurt your kids or whatever, it's not worth it. You can't work on yourself. And it's really for the betterment of the marriage itself that you take time away to figure out how did we get to this point. Um, and as well as putting in those boundaries to make you just feel safe again. Because um, if you don't feel safe at home, you don't feel safe anywhere. Um, and uh, I'd say, too, no matter how broken you think something is, God can put it back together. And it doesn't matter if she says or he says, you're, we're getting a divorce. Or even if you've had, you know, already gone through divorce. God can resurrect things from the dead. God can uh, put anything back together. Can you add to that? Um, some of the darkest, darkest times, um, God's still there. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even it feels like you're absolutely, utterly alone. God's still there. And if you make it a purpose to look for Him, you find Him. Um, even if it's subtle little ways. And there'll be times where you just cry out because you just feel like, there's no hope, but I promise, like, we, this is going to sound really strange, but I would not change anything that happened. Like, we would not have the marriage we have right now if we did not go through everything that we went through. Um, I would not be the person I am right now. I would not have the faith I have right now if it wasn't for what we went through. Well, I know it's not easy to share your story, and we really appreciate uh, your courage, uh, your transparency, your openness, and I believe that uh, there's someone here, someone hearing this, that desperately needed to hear this story of hope, the story of uh, how God can redeem, restore, rebuild broken marriages. So thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You know, I'm not just thankful that they shared their story. I'm going to say it this way. I'm, I'm thankful that Steve and Sarah were willing to trust us with their story. Does that make sense? You know the difference? Uh, that's not an easy thing to talk about. And uh, I think it communicates something about us as a church family that they're willing to trust us with that. So let's hold that trust well, okay? I hope you heard some principles in there that were helpful to you. What I'd like to do is unpack some biblical principles that I think will be helpful no matter where your marriage is at, whether it's strong and healthy and you want to keep it there, or it's struggling in some area and you, you want to and, and desire to make things, make things better. Tonight, I just want to say this, tonight at our grace group, we're all going to be together. We're not going to split up. We're going to be together, and Steve and Sarah are going to continue to share some things from their hearts with us about marriage. We're just going to continue that conversation uh, this evening. So I'd love to have you come back and be part of that. Here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to talk about two things. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians. We'll start there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to share just a few simple principles, thoughts, 
about marriage. The first one is directed to those of you who are not yet married, but you would like to be. Those who are not yet married, but one day you would like to be. I don't know how close you might be to that. Uh, you, you might be uh, engaged and you're, you're getting close, or you know, you're still a student and it's kind of far off, but not married yet, but one day you would like to be. Listen carefully to this godly principle, this wisdom principle. Now, I got my big, this looks huge, I understand. So the reason I have this big version, this has four versions in one book, okay? And there's just some wording that's a little bit different in each of the four versions that I found to be helpful when, when I'm studying these things. And in the NIV, if you have the NIV, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That's a farming term. And an agricultural term of two animals that are trying to plow a field, and they're connected together with this farming tool called a yoke that holds on their neck, right? And they pull the plow through the field. They're connected. They can't get away from one another. And if one is pulling in a different direction than the other one, the one that's stronger is going to pull the other one, and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. I love that image. It's very powerful. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The new living that I normally use on Sundays for when we're going through, it uses this phrase, don't team up with unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? That's a powerful image. Harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? The New American Standard, which I believe is what you have in front of you there uh, in, in the chairs and the pews. Listen to the way this is phrased. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony? Isn't that an interesting word? What harmony has Christ with Belial or the devil? What, what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Do you get what Paul is trying to communicate there? This is a, a, a godly wisdom principle, and it's very simple. You ready? Do not marry someone if they do not know Jesus as their Savior and love Jesus. Don't do it. That's the godly principle. Dating, oh, it's very simple. Dating is not supposed to be an evangelism strategy. I'm gonna, this, he's so cute, and, and I'm sure if I spend enough time with him, I'll, I'll make him come to church, and he'll love Jesus one day. Dating is not an evangelism strategy. The godly principle. Here's what I tell my own kids. Now, if you're saying, I, it's too late. I already married someone, and they're not a believer, and I'm living in this. What do I do? We'll talk about that in a moment. But if you're not yet married, but you hope to be one day, this is a principle you've got to live by. I'll, I'll share with you what I've shared with my kids, what, what was shared with me when I was growing up. Make a list. Make a list of what you are looking for in a spouse. Whatever it is you're looking for. All right? 
Maybe you're looking for someone who's smart and funny. Maybe you're looking for someone, you know, a certain color of hair really lights your fire. Maybe you're looking for someone with 11 toes and an eye patch. I don't know what it is that you might be looking for. But when you're making that list, put whatever it is you want on there, but number one on the list that is non-negotiable, does this person know Jesus as their Savior? Does this person love Jesus? If they don't make it past number one, move on. There's no reason to go to number two, three, and four, even if the eye patch is really cool. There's no reason. I love that image that the NIV puts it in in the agricultural terms. There's a very practical reason that Paul gives us this instruction. If the ox, I'll, I'll stick with the metaphor, if the ox that you are yoked to, the guy or the gal that you're married to, if, if they don't want to pull the plow towards Jesus, then what do you expect is going to happen in that marriage? If you are not yet married but would one day like to be, this is a really, really important godly wisdom principle to make sure that you are living out I know it through observation. It's not, yes, this is always going to be true, whether I observe it or not, but over 20-plus years of ministry, I have observed this to be absolutely true. Here's the second thing. Let's talk to those of us who are married, right? Those of us who are married. This July, Angie and I are going to celebrate 25 years of marriage, and I'm... Um, thankful uh, to God for the, the, the years that he's given us together and the family that he's blessed us with. And I can say with absolute confidence that the passages of Scripture, the godly wisdom principles that we're going to look at this morning, are absolutely true to life. Now, they don't, they don't need me to validate them because it's the Word of God. I'm just saying that I have lived these principles and uh, when, when our marriage early on had some struggles, these are the principles that I needed to strengthen me in my faith and, and to strengthen our marriage. I've, I've lived this. I've seen it throughout the years just in ministry. So whether you've got a pretty healthy, strong marriage right now and you want to keep it that way, or... Maybe things are hurting right now. Maybe things are not ideal in your marriage. These principles are the pathway towards something healthier. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to read to you these things from uh, the Word of God, and then I'll just make a couple observations and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33 really is a, a snapshot, a picture of a... Uh, a biblical blueprint, God's blueprint for a healthy marriage. And they are pretty similar in, in, in the different versions. Uh, there might be a few word changes, but it says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which He is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, 
That's what we talk about here, living a Jesus-centered life. He's the one we're following. We're not the leader. He is. Well, just like that, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, who, no, no one ever hated his own body. No, he feeds it. He cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Right? So there's some themes there about love and respect. Let me add to that 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, the same way you wives, and this is in the context of following leaders, following uh, the leadership that God has established. Right? That's the context that's surrounding uh, the verses before. That's why it says in the same way. You wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Follow his leadership. Even those, remember I said earlier, what about uh, those, maybe you married someone that's not a believer, or uh, maybe your husband is not following Jesus like he should. What do you do with that? Even those who refuse to accept the good news or the gospel, your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They'll be won over by watching your pure, godly behavior. In the New American, it uses the phrase, they'll observe your chaste and, listen to this, respectful behavior. This idea of respect surfaces again. And then in verse 7, in the same way, husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Well, that's pretty powerful. The NIV talks about being considerate to your wives. Treat them with respect. The New American uses the phrase, husbands in the same way, live with your wives as in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Show her honor as, listen to this phrase, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. What we are what we've just read together is a, is a blueprint. It's a blueprint, God's blueprint, for a healthy, Jesus-centered marriage. And it's going to break it into what it says to wives and what it says to husbands. To wives, the, the instruction, the godly wisdom principle is this. Submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. And I recognize fully that in our American culture in, in 2023, that may sound to some as old-fashioned. It may sound to others as misogynistic. 
But you need to understand that when these words were written in the ancient culture in which they were written, this was the one place, the one place in that ancient culture where women were actually respected, honored, and, and, and treated with, with, that, uh, with, with some level of equality was in the church of Jesus Christ. You weren't finding that anywhere else in that culture. And when you study the Word of God, what you find is that God's Word teaches equality between men and women, that we are of equal value. And at the same time, God's Word celebrates our differences. Let me just start over and break that down. Uh, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have had to say this or, or, or back a step up, but now we do. According to God's Word, there are men and women. Let's start there. There are not 42 genders. There are men there are women. God's Word also teaches that we are equal in value. This idea of, the, I love that phrase, co-heirs in the gospel. But we're also different, and it's okay that we are different. Men and women equal value, but we are different physically. God has wired us differently, and it's okay. We're not all the same. God has designed inequality and in these differences, God has designed a blueprint for a healthy marriage. And in that blueprint, God has given the responsibility of leadership to men. So ladies, if you want a healthy marriage, your part in that is to respect your husband. That's your part. And if they are not a strong, godly leader right now, even if, you, even if you disagree about something, because you know he's wrong, he probably is, I get it, even if you know he's wrong, always, always communicate with and treat your husband with respect. Always. It is how God has wired men we need to be respected. It is hardwired in us. And when we are not respected, there's something that dies in us. And maybe that doesn't make sense to you women. It doesn't have to make sense. Men in the room are like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Because that's how God has hardwired us to need respect. If you want a healthy marriage, you're not going to have it if you, will, if you choose not to show respect to your husband. Husbands. The phrase that is repeated towards us, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And we can't gloss over that and just say, well, that's a nice phrase. That is a high bar of love. That is a high standard of love. In fact, Paul describes it, I think, incredibly vividly when he says Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be spiritually clean before God. He laid his life down for us. That's the level of sacrificial love that God expects of men towards their wives. 
Men, if you want a healthy marriage, your part in that is to love your wife with a sacrificial love, with a I would lay my life down and die for you kind of love. The man there is that we are to care for our wives. We are to care for her needs like we would care for our own. If you want a healthy marriage, we are called to lead like Jesus. Well, how do we lead like Jesus? How did he lead? Jesus led with love. Jesus was a servant leader. And so as we as men follow the example of Jesus, and we live a Jesus-centered life, well, now we are worthy of respect. Now we are, we are someone that is worth following. Not a complicated blueprint. These are, these are simple, easy-to-remember godly wisdom principles. It's two things. It's love and respect. Love and respect. Say it with me. Love and respect. That's it. You can remember that. And even then, I, I, I'm sure, I'm not, I don't have telepathy, right? But I, I've been around long enough to know there's someone sitting here thinking, what if? You don't know my situation. What if my wife is not being respectful? She, she's not willing to let me lead. What if my husband is not a loving leader? Let's talk about it. How do you repair that? You, you heard Sarah and Steve throughout their testimony talking about what needed to happen in them before their marriage could be restored and repaired. There were things broken inside them that needed God to repair and restore. So let's talk about this idea. How do, how do, we, how do we repair a broken marriage? Let me, three things, three things, real quick. Number one, if you need help, ask. If you need help, ask. We here, now they, they had, you know, there are different options. They had someone from Monroeville and it was over Zoom and these things, there's lots of options. But we here at Grace Fellowship, we partner with some Christian counselors that are local. In fact, they're located right down the road here. Uh, we partner with them, and uh, we, we would be happy to, to refer you and, and get you the help that you need. You need to understand that whatever it is that's broken didn't break overnight. And I don't think people uh, always understand that. They get to this crisis point, and there's this expectation. Well, we'll just call the pastor, and he'll fix it in a half-hour meeting. no. That's not how it works. It didn't break overnight, and so it's not going to repair, be repaired in, in you know, a one-hour counseling session. These things take time and a lot of hard work and some expertise sometimes. And so we can help with that. We can help facilitate that. If you need help, ask. The second thing I would say is this. Do not compare your marriage to someone else. Don't do that. Sometimes I think people that are struggling and, and they look at their marriage and they have this tendency to look at someone else's marriage and, and say, well, they're perfect. Their marriage is perfect. And that just makes things worse in your own mind because now you, you're saying, well, ours is so much worse because it's not that. Stop doing that. 
There is no perfect marriage. And those of you in the room who have a strong, healthy marriage, you know that to be true. If you have a strong, healthy marriage, you know your marriage isn't perfect. That's why you keep working at it to make it stronger. So don't compare your marriage to someone else's. Don't do that. Ask for help if you need it. Quit comparing yours to someone else. And the third thing is just what they kept repeating over and over again. You need to change first. When there are cracks, when there are weaknesses in our marriage, what's the natural tendency? The natural tendency is to see all the faults, all the failures in your spouse, and not your own. I know you're wonderful, but you've got things in your life, I've got things in my life that aren't perfect. You know, one of the things that I love most about the book called Love and Respect, and if you're looking for a really good resource, Love and Respect by Dr. Egrich, uh, it is basically Ephesians 5 uh, in, in just incredible practical fashion, story after story about how to apply this, these biblical principles in your marriage. Love and Respect is the name of the book. And what I appreciate most about that book is how story after story, he puts the primary responsibility for change on ourselves first. He, he'll, he'll tell stories about how he'll ask you know, a, a wife, he'll ask a husband, does your wife know that you don't like that? Well, yeah, I've told him a thousand times. Okay, they probably know that that needs to change. They probably know that you don't like that. And so he'll bring it back to what needs to change in your approach, what needs to change in your heart, what needs to change in the way that you're handling the situation. I, I just, it's very, very practical. And if we look at the blueprint and the focus, and, and, and we focus on being the wife, being the husband that God is calling you to be first, if you choose to put the effort into learning how to be a better wife, how can I be a better husband, and you focus primarily on that goal, things will, over time, get better. And I'm not saying we shouldn't communicate what we maybe want or need to see change in our marriage or in our spouse. And I'll just say this to the, to the ladies. Sometimes, yes, sometimes men can be dense. We recognize that. And so there are times when you, you probably do just need to tell us because we can't read your minds. And you probably do just need to tell us because we're not getting it. Just remember that when you do that, when you say those things, just do it respectfully. If you say those things respectfully, men will hear you. If it is not communicated with respect, I can just tell you what men do. We don't hear it. We don't hear it. And so, yes, there's communication skills that need to happen, and we might need for you to just tell us, how can I love you better? What do you need from me to be a better leader? Honest conversation is important, and I'll say this, prayer is even more important. We need, we desperately need God's help to live out these godly wisdom principles because they're not natural. You know what we are naturally? We're naturally selfish. We are naturally, in our sinful nature, self-centered. So we need God to change these things in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why I'm saying staying focused on changing in ourselves rather than focus on demanding the changes take place in our spouse. If we focus on ourselves first and the things that need to happen in our own hearts, in our own lives, we're going to get much farther towards a healthier relationship faster. Men, if you are focused on leading your your family with love like Jesus, you're not going to be hard to respect. Ladies, if you are focused on being respectful in all that you do and all that you say, you will be much easier to lead with love. And I understand the world and our culture, you just heard all of that, the world, our culture has a much different blueprint than what we just talked about. How's that working out? I mean, honestly, how's the track record of the world going? This blueprint works. It just works. I wonder why it works. Maybe because God designed it. This is the blueprint that will ensure that you and your spouse, watch this, we're going to full circle now, back to those who aren't married yet but want to be one day. This blueprint will ensure that you and your spouse are pulling the plow in the same direction towards Jesus. This is how you do it. 